0: A survey asked 7,948 students. Let me say that number again 7,948 students, uh, college students at 48 colleges. Here's the question they ask What do you consider very important? What do you consider? These are college students, nearly 8,000 of them. What do you consider very important? The study was conducted by social scientists at Johns Hopkins University, and here's what they reported. They reported that 16% of those students answered this way making a lot of money 16% that said that's what they considered very important making a lot of money but get this a whopping 75% said that their first goal was finding a purpose and meaning to my life. Now, I was surprised by that. I figured the number who considered making lots of money would have been significantly more than 16%. But 70, what I, 75% said that finding a purpose and meaning in their life was very important to them. So I want to ask you two questions tonight. Number one, is life worth living? And number two, if so, how then should we live it? If life is worth living, how then should we live it? And I would submit to you tonight that the answers to these questions can be found in the writings of the wisest men to ever live. His name was Solomon. And he addresses the issue of life and how it should and how it should not be lived. He addresses those things in the 12 chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes. And with the Lord's help, I, wanna, I want us tonight to revisit the book of Ecclesiastes in a series that we'll call Life, How Then Should We Live? Brother Mike is working on a graphic, didn't have it done for tonight, but, so we'll use that one, not that it matters to you, but that's going to be the title of, of this series, Life, How Then should we live? Unfortunately, there are scores of people in this world who just don't see life as something worth being lived. One such individual, an anonymous college student, left these thoughts about life just before committing suicide. To anyone in the world who cares, Who am I? Why am I living? Life has become stupid and purposeless. Nothing makes sense anymore. The questions I had when I came to college are still unanswered. And now I am convinced there are no answers. There can only be pain and guilt and despair here in this world. My fear of death and the unknown is far less terrifying than the prospect of the unbearable frustration, futility, and hopelessness of continued existence. Now, to be clear, not every frustrated college student commits suicide. Amen to that. There are some who fight their way through the frustration believing that if they can just graduate and get out of there and make it to the top, then they'll be all right. But alas, many of those who do just that soon discover that life at the top is really no better than anywhere else. Take John Berryman, for example. John Berryman was one of the poetic elite of his century. He seemed to have made every conquest a poet might crave. He was a beloved college professor. He was a Pulitzer Prize winner. His widespread acclaim... Brought him fame, friends, and followers. He had seemingly found the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But one frozen January in 1972, he came to the final stanza. John Berryman walked across a bridge in Minnesota, waved to a stranger, and then leaped to his death in the icy Mississippi River. We hear stories like that, and and we ask ourselves, why? Here's why, according to John Berryman, he said this, at 55, half famous and effective, I still feel rotten about myself. Psychologist Carl Jung said in his book, Modern Man in Search of a Soul, he wrote this, About a third of my cases are suffering from no clinically definable neurosis, but from the senselessness and emptiness of their lives. This can be described as the general neurosis of our time." Why is it that we can look around at at many of the young people of today expecting to see joy and humor and infectious energy, but instead we find substance abuse and promiscuity and suicide? Why is that? I'll give you my thought. It's because they don't understand life and how it should be lived. That is, they don't understand it from the Bible's point of view. You see, when you bring the divine into the equation, then it changes some things. Solomon was a man who had been there and done that and lived to write about it. And boy, am I glad he did. We are fortunate tonight to have these 12 chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I trust that over the course of the next couple of months that you will go with me on an incredible journey guided by the most powerful, influential, and educated man of his day. In our study, we will follow Solomon in his quest to discover the meaning of life. And so tonight, we're just going to Look at the first three verses of chapter 1, and and tonight's message is going to be pretty much just introductory. Uh, Tonight we're going to meet our guide, the preacher, as he chooses to call himself. Look at it, Ecclesiastes 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? So let's begin tonight with a little Background on the preacher. The story of Solomon's life is contained in the 11 chapters of 1 Kings. His parents, of course, I think we, we know this, his parents were David and Bathsheba. Solomon assumed the throne of Israel following the death of his father and just 5 verses into the story of his reign as king God appeared to him appeared to him in a dream and this is what God said to Solomon ask what I shall give thee wow <laughs> can you imagine hearing God waking you up from a deep sleep tonight And hear him saying, what can I give you? Kurt, what shall I give thee? Jennifer, what shall I give thee? Scott, what shall I give thee? Wowzer. Pretty open-ended question. You mean, God, you're asking me what? What you could give me? Are you serious? <laughs> can you imagine the possibilities? You stop and think about that for a minute. What would you ask for? In blank check. God said, "What can I give you?" You know what Solomon asked for? It's pretty incredible. It's in 1 Kings 3, 9, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? Solomon, Solomon could have asked for a thousand lifetimes. Thousand, Solomon could have asked for any number of things. He could have asked for all the silver in the world. He could have asked for all of the gold in the world. I mean, he could have asked for anything, and yet he asked for wisdom what a way to start your reign as king god you really want to know what i need you really want to know what i want i want wisdom i want wisdom to be able to lead these people i want wisdom i want discernment i want the ability to discern between good and evil and for several years Of his reign as king, Solomon's life was highlighted by one wise decision right after the other. Boom, boom, boom. Wisdom and discernment and knowledge and good decision after good decision after good decision. The crowning achievement of Solomon was the building of the temple of God. A feat that his father David Never got to carry out. During his reign, Israel became a great empire. So much so, if you know anything about the life of Solomon, you know that rulers from from many other countries, including the Queen of Sheba, made their way to Jerusalem to pay homage. To Solomon. His fame had spread abroad, his wisdom, his accomplishments, his abilities had been broadcast far and wide, and people just had to see for themselves all of the things that Solomon had been able to accomplish. But in spite of all of these wonderful accomplishments, Solomon's days as a king did not end well. In the end, his wealth and his fame and especially his sinful desires got the best of him. In 1 Kings 11, we read this of Solomon. But King Solomon Loved many strange women. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives. Turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God. As was the heart of David his father. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. And went not fully after the Lord. The Lord was angry with Solomon. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and I will give it to thy servant. So We're talking about the background of of the preacher he starts out wonderfully and asking God for wisdom and and the discernment to know the difference between good and evil and he makes one righteous and godly decision right after the other but then he let lust get the best of him And he surrounded himself with all of these women, and they ended up drawing his heart away from God to their gods. And in the end, God said, everything I've given you, I'm taking away, and I'm going to give it to someone else. Now, what we read in the book of Ecclesiastes are the thoughts of Solomon as he revisited the wreckage of a wasted life. Here's what Solomon will tell us throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Don't live like I lived. Do not do what I did. Or there will be a price to pay. So let's look a little bit at the book that the preacher wrote. As one writer put it, Solomon put keys to his book at both the front and the back doors. Here's what he meant by that. In verse 2, we read it together. He said, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Two verses into the book. And then at the close of the book, at the end of chapter 12, he writes this, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. The primary focus of Ecclesiastes is the futility Of a life lived without God. That's the focus. It's the premise of his writings. It's about the worthlessness of an existence void of morality. There are several key words that we're going to read over and over and over again that help us capture the essence of Solomon's message. And right at the top is the word we've already talked about, the word vanity. Solomon is going to use that word over 30 times. Now, today, we tend to equate the word vanity with with egotism and, and pride and Someone being self-absorbed. But when Solomon used it, he did so to indicate emptiness and futility. He uses the word vanity to speak of that which is transitory and, and has little meaning. Dustin, come up and help me tonight, would you? Come up here and help me. You can even put your OU hat on if you want to. Atta baby, atta baby. That's what I'm talking about right there. When you, stand right over here. When you read the word vanity in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I've, I've, uh, I've given you this in, in other messages that I've preached when I've referenced the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, Whenever you read the word vanity in the book of Ecclesiastes, Here's, here's how I want you to picture it. I want you to picture it as what you have left in your hand after a bubble pops. So let's see if we can, if we can do this. I haven't blown bubbles in ages. And here's what I want you to do. When, when, when you see a bubble, I want you to reach up, reach up and grab it. And then I want you to show everybody what's in your hand. Okay? Now show them what's in there. Let's do it again. Let's come over here show this side. They didn't get to see. They think you're holding out on them. Now right, you reach up and grab that bubble, okay? You grab it. Pop it. Now show them what's in your hand. Solomon, thank you. Solomon said, you probably... Probably couldn't have caught him if you had a K-State hat on or something. Here's what Solomon says when he, when he uses the word vanity. It's exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the nothingness, the emptiness, the futility of a life lived without God. Whether it's with regard to his wealth or his works or his wisdom or his world. Solomon comes to the same conclusion every time. All is vanity. And then he uses this phrase in the second chapter and we'll talk about it when we get there. Vexation of spirit. Vanity, emptiness, futility and vexation of spirit. And then he uses a a phrase numerous times in his writings, and it's the phrase, under the sun. Under the sun. Almost 30 times, Solomon uses this phrase. And, And here's what he's talking about, and I want you to remember this. He's talking about his outlook on life from a purely human perspective. I told you earlier that there's a difference between a life lived out of a purely human perspective and a life lived from a divine perspective. When Solomon talks about and uses the phrase, under the sun... That's what he's referring to. He's referring to his outlook on life from a purely human perspective. And so when you think about that, it's no wonder that he came to the conclusion that it was all vanity and vexation of spirit. When viewed from a purely human standpoint, life really is a waste. It's a waste. Because there's nothing there is nothing that follows you. I mean you live, you die and then you spend eternity somewhere. But when you and I live our life from a biblical perspective and from a uh, and we look at life through a A biblical worldview then we understand that if we live that life to the honor and glory of the Lord there are things that will go ahead of us that we will enjoy they're called rewards God rewards a life lived for him and for his glory and so this life isn't a waste this this life may be done But there are glories awaiting us. I mean, life lived without God just doesn't make a lot of sense. But thankfully, we have another perspective from which to view things. And as I've already alluded to, that's God's perspective. The great preacher from from yesteryear, if you can ever get your hands on anything written by G. Campbell Morgan, I would encourage you to grab it up. It's good stuff. Here's how he summarized Solomon's outlook. He said this, this man had been living through all of these experiences under the sun, concerned with nothing above the sun. Until there came a moment in which he had seen the whole of life, and there was something over the sun. It is only as a man takes account of that which is over the sun as well as that which is under the sun, that things under the sun are seen in their true light. You get that? It's when you and I, as I just said, when you and I begin to view life from a heavenly perspective, from a biblical perspective, from a, a worldview that is Bible-based, then it puts everything under the sun in perspective. This really, this really has no eternal value. Our houses, and our cars, and our bank accounts, and our popularity, and our status, and our position, and our accomplishments. Those things are nothing. When you view them with the understanding that there is more beyond this. Solomon also speaks of profit in the book of Ecclesiastes. The Hebrew word primarily means that which is left over. Profit is the opposite of vanity. Another word that we will read 23 times in 21 verses is the word labor. When Solomon speaks of labor in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's talking about working to the point of exhaustion and yet experiencing little or no fulfillment in your work. And I'm guessing we've all been there. I mean, you work your fingers to the bone, and at the end of the day, there's just no satisfaction. There's just no sense of accomplishment, no no joy that comes from that. And let me tell you something tonight, church. That's easy to do when you fail to look at your work, whether it's spiritual or secular, as a ministry. Say, Are we supposed to look at our work as a ministry? Well, according to Paul, we are. That's, if you want to get enjoyment out of work, if you want to get a sense of satisfaction and accomplishment out of your work, then go to work tomorrow and Friday with this mindset, this is a ministry that God has given me. Bridge, where do you get that? I get it from Colossians chapter 3. Here's what Paul said, Servants, obey in all things your masters. According to the flesh. And we can make the translation in our mind tonight. Masters and servants. Employers and employees. Okay. Servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service. As men pleasers. But in singleness of heart. Fearing God. In other words... I'm going to go to work tomorrow with this mindset. He's my employer in the flesh. But I've got someone beyond him that I want to please. I'm not going to do what I do today just to be a man pleaser. Just so at the end of the day my boss may pat me on the back. Now I'm going to do what I do today because I'm working for Jesus. Because I'm working for God. And Paul says, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to who? The Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Solomon talks about labor, and again he's talking about working to the point of exhaustion, but yet receiving no satisfaction, no fulfillment from that. But again, I'll submit to you that if you will learn to approach your employment, your labor, your work from the perspective That I've got somebody above him or above her that's watching me. And it's God. And I'm really not working for them. I'm working for him. And it'll change the way you view things. Another one of Solomon's favorite words is, is the word evil. Solomon uses evil to describe life as he sees it under the sun. The word evil speaks of that which is painful, sorrowful, difficult, and distressing. You say, wow, preacher, I'm not sure I really want to come to church on Wednesday night if it's going to be this kind of a downer every time. Well, the book of Ecclesiastes is not all doom and gloom. Okay, it's not all doom and gloom. Because Solomon also speaks of joy. Now, we'll read the word, the actual word joy, only three times. But we will read words related to joy, like enjoy and rejoice and other words along those lines. And they're used numerous times. So it's not all doom and gloom. One point that Solomon makes is that God's gifts are to be received with joy. And that they are to be enjoyed. One of the points that Solomon makes is this. You ought to have fun in life. You ought to enjoy God's blessings. There's nothing wrong with having fun and enjoying life. But then he adds this caveat. The only way to really do that is to live life according to God's work. Ecclesiastes, again, we're encouraged to enjoy what we do have. Listen, we are encouraged because because Solomon acknowledges that the things we do have were given to us by God. And so he encourages us to enjoy what we do have and not be so, listen, not be so concerned about what we don't have. Come on, we can get so focused on, well, I don't have this, and I don't have this, and I don't have this, and we get all down into dumps when really we ought to be looking around and thanking God for what we do. I do have this, and I do have this, and I do have that, and I do have that, and God, I thank you for it all. Listen, life is too short to be endured, it is meant to be enjoyed. And the final word I'll draw your attention to is the word wisdom. Wisdom. There are over 54 references to wisdom in the 12 chapters of Solomon's book. where the Tyler started a series weeks ago. He got one message into it, and then we interrupted him with all these other things. But in the book of, of uh, Proverbs. And we're going to talk a lot. He's going to talk a lot in the book of Proverbs about wisdom and what it is. In his God-given wisdom, Solomon sums it all up. And we'll come to this a a couple of months from now when we get to chapter 12. But Solomon sums it all up like this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. Fear God. Preacher, what's life all about? It's about fearing God and keeping His commandments. And listen, we're going we're gonna to talk about so many things before we get there. But in the end, Solomon sums it all up. Fear God, keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty Of man so take everything we talk about over the course of the next two two months condense it down and here's what you come up with well what did you learn from the book of Saul from the book of Ecclesiastes here's what I learned I have I have two responsibilities one is to fear God the other is to keep his commandments and if you and I will live our life With those two goals in mind, fearing God and keeping his commandments. Then everything that Solomon challenges us to do and the things that he he challenges us to avoid. That's exactly what we'll do. You know why Solomon did some of the things he did? Because he didn't fear God and he didn't keep God's commandments. And now he's at the end of his life and he's telling us, people listen to me. Listen to me, do not make the same mistakes I made. Fear God and keep His commandments. And then we'll close with this, let's close with his belief. You say, well preacher, is there any really like practical application, like something I could step out of here and put to practice like right away? For everyday life, and, and the answer is a resounding yes. There'll be a lot of practical application. And I know it's not there tonight. This is introductory. But there will be things, solid things, concrete things that you can walk out of here with and put to practice. All of what we see in our day, injustice. We're going to talk about crooked politics. We're going to talk about incompetent leadership. We're going to talk about guilty people allowed to commit more crime. We're going to talk about materialism. All of those things can be found in the pages of Solomon's commentary on life. How to deal with life when life stinks. We're going to talk about that. How do we deal with, with life when, it, when it's, it's disastrous and things come into our life that, that we never expected and, and things that we don't like? How do we deal with that? Solomon's going to teach us that. Solomon's belief was that life lived without God is of no account. And he had the life experience to so substantiate that claim. I mean, Solomon, we don't find this phrase in, in the book of Ecclesiastes. But we can use it. Been there, done that. As a matter of fact, one of the sermon titles for this series will be just that. Been there, done that. And then you might tack this on. And I have the heartache to show have the ruined life to show because Solomon has been there and he has done that Solomon's belief was that life lived without God again is is of no account Solomon experimented with life just early on into this this book we're going to see all of the experimentation that, that existed in Solomon's life and here's what we're going to find, is that there was no lasting satisfaction in things like possessions, or pleasure, or power, or prestige. He had, every, he had all of that, all of that. Yet by his own admission, his life was as empty as Dustin's hand. The message of Ecclesiastes is that there's no reason, listen to me tonight, and I'm done. There's no reason for you or I to repeat the same mistakes. There's no reason. There's no reason for the Christian life to be one of vanity, when in all reality it can be one of victory. By the time we get through with this book, we'll not have an excuse for, for doing the non-godlike things, the unbiblical things, the unscriptural things, the worldly things, the carnal things that we do. We'll have no excuse for doing that because we've been shown the futility of a life lived that way.